Well, this morning we are going to finish what Devin and I began early in the summer. It's just a, a walk through the Psalms as we have visited many of the different poetic voices that we see in the Psalms. And today I'm going to finish up, um, I'm going to finish, do our, our last Psalm by teaching through the first Psalm. So if you would, turn to Psalm 1. And read along with me, starting in verse 1. The inscription above says, The way of the righteous and the wicked. No author is mentioned, but here is what the writer of the psalm says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. O oh Lord, please attend to your word this morning, that your name might be glorified, that your church might be edified, grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. In the magazine Psychology Today, years ago, one psychologist said this about happiness. He said, happiness is an elusive state. In 2008, more than 4,000 books were written on how one could be happy. And yet, our culture is perpetually looking for the secret to happiness with no real success. Even with our constitutional right to pursue happiness, it remains elusive because it's a philosophy that declares my happiness is the highest good. I deserve to be happy. Sadly, as a pastor, I've heard that statement more times than I care to admit when a husband or a wife has left their spouse and said, I'm not happy, I deserve to be happy, and so I'm going my own way. Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed, which translated from the Hebrew literally means happy. Happy is the man, or happy is the man or woman. Happy is the person. Happy is the person, the writer says, who doesn't need 4,000 books to explain how someone can be happy, but the writer of this psalm only needs six verses to explain how that happens. This opening psalm has a very distinct purpose. It's to introduce the main point of all the psalms. Psalm 1 exists as a gateway to all of the psalms, all, all 150 of the psalms. And in fact, Psalm 1, in many ways, is a gateway and an explanation to all of Scripture. 
an explanation to understand what the main point of this psalm is. is it's a straightforward pair of alternatives. The book of Psalms is a wisdom book. It, it gives us the wisdom of God like Proverbs is a wisdom book. And it's to introduce the main point, like I said, of all the Psalms in the entire Bible. And the practical message is this. There are two ways to live. There are two ways to live. There are two kinds of people. There are two pathways in life. And there are two outcomes. And as a wisdom book, as all wisdom books do in Scripture, as all Scripture does, it provides a contrast between what is right and what is wrong. It gives straightforward pair of alternatives by aptly describing here in Psalm 1 the consequences that the wicked experience for their wickedness and the blessings or happiness the righteous experience for their faithfulness. And that is the main idea of Psalm 1. There are two ways to live. There are two pathways. There are two outcomes. So the, the first, this, this psalm is wonderfully divided into three sections. The first section is the, the way of the righteous. The second one is the way of the, the wicked, what the, what the wicked man is like. It describes the wicked man. And the third is a summary. Verses 1 through 3 gives us this picture, this description of the way of the righteous. And it begins by describing the way of the righteous negatively. It's a negative description. A happy man or a happy woman does not do the following things. First, the righteous person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And here, here is how a, a spiritual decline begins. That this person, this man, this woman, who does listen to the counsel of the wicked... That's the very first step, that they don't listen to the cultural norms of the day. They don't shape their lives. They're not influenced by what they listen to on TV or what they read on the Internet, but they're shaped and influenced by the Word of God. They don't walk in the council. And you would be shocked to, to understand that how much you take in from social media, how much you take in from watching television, how much you take in from what you read is often the counsel of the wicked. That we don't, we don't look with discernment, but we, we just take it in. And, and that's walking in the counsel of the wicked. When our ideas and our thoughts are influenced and shaped by these words. And secondly, the righteous person does not stand in the way of sinners. Now, when it means stand, it doesn't mean that I'm standing in the way of a sinner and not letting them go anywhere. No, no, no. It's standing in their shoes. That the, the, the righteous person does not stand in their shoes. In other words, the, the decline has gone further. Not only have they listened to the counsel of the wicked, but the wicked also stands in the way of sinners. They, they adopt the lifestyle of the sinners. They walk in their shoes. The righteous person doesn't do that. They don't adopt and look like what the world looks like. They don't let their way of life become their lifestyle. All of us have, have seen this happen. We see it often most maybe in, in elementary school and, and middle school and high school and college where you see all these people, they, they all want to dress alike. They all want to talk alike. They all want to act alike. They all listen to the same music. 
They all read the same books. They all have the same philosophies. That really is standing in the way of sinners. Not being shaped by God's word, but being shaped by those around them. And finally, they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. That's, that's what the wicked do. The wicked get comfortable. To sit in the seat is to get comfortable. And the wicked sit in the seat of scoffers. The righteous do not do that. They do not get comfortable. They don't go to this final step. They don't progress from just listening to the counsel of the wicked and then standing with the wicked. But now they just sit with them and they're comfortable with them. The righteous do not do that. They don't scoff. They don't scoff at God. They don't scoff at the ways of God. They don't scoff at the morality of God. They don't scoff at the things that, that declare who God is. Now, these three negative descriptions are known in Hebrew poetry as parallelism. And parallelism is when the writer uses multiple lines to describe the same thing using different examples or, or different metaphors. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And then he says, in all your ways acknowledge him. It's a parallelism. It's just saying the same thing in a different way. And that is what is happening here. The righteous person, he avoids this progression of wickedness and is blessed in doing so. And then the writer moves on in verse 2 to a positive description. He says, this is who the, the righteous are not. This is what they are not like. And then in verse 2, he says, but here is what they are like. Now, this is how the righteous person lives. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, it would be natural for us to expect the writer to describe in a similar way that he did in verse 1, the positive traits of a righteous person, that, that it would be a parallelism in verse 2. He, he walks in the counsel of the, of the righteous. He stands with those who are godly, and he sits in the seat of those who offer praise. That would be perfect parallelism. But that is not what he does. With the righteous person, there's only one description, one one thought, the one in which everything else in, in the life of this person stands and falls, the one in which the believer's faith is proven genuine, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. We, brothers and sisters, we delight in so many things. Last night we were here with the roars and the mazes and we had what was called crab gate and, and they're eating Maryland crab and cracking it and I have no desire to do that, but I do like king crab. I was delighting in that king crab. I don't know if it was delighting in me, but I was delighting in it. We find delight and, and the psalmist here saying, listen, what delights you the most in this world? What is your greatest delight? Is it the, the food you eat, the place you visit, the friends that you have, your spouse? Who, who or what do you delight in most? And he is, he is making it clear. The righteous, the happy person, the blessed person delights in the law of the Lord. 
delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This is the description of the righteous man. This is all he needs. This is all he needs. And this is what will shape his or her life. This is what will be shaping us as we delight daily in God's word. Listen, what, what we know determines what we think. And, and what we think shapes how we live. So what we take in makes all the difference to us. In 1978, I, I had to take a computer class in college. <laughs> this, is a, this is a 1978 computer class. So we had, it was one, zeros, do loops, and punch cards. And I had to put all these punch cards, and it was clear two weeks into the class, I was totally lost. I had no clue what I was doing. Every punch card I put in got spit out, and it was, it was a disaster. Thankfully, the drop ad part of the classes was still going on, and I was able to drop that class. And I, I have purpose to never remember what I had to walk through with punch cards again. But I do remember one thing about that class that has stuck with me. G-I-G-O. You know computers, you know that, that phrase. Garbage in, garbage out. And I took the garbage out a lot in that class. Garbage in, garbage out. What we put in is what comes out. It's what shapes us. It's how we live. Hours online, hours watching news, hours watching TV, feeding our souls, feeding our minds. That is what shapes us. That is what influences us. Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 23 tells us, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And the psalmist tells us, here is a man whose life is shaped and guided and influenced by the law of God. Now, when he means law here, he does not mean what we would think as we read about the law showing us that we are, we are evil and wicked, which it does. It reveals who we are. But he's talking about the law, as, and, and it means Torah, which means instruction. He's talking about the words of God, the instruction of God, the, the Torah of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us this. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is, that is what Paul is looking at. He's saying, if you delight in the law of the Lord, you will be not conformed to this world, but you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind as you take delight in God's law, as you meditate on that law day and night. Again, the law is not something bad here. It's good. It's instruction. It's, it's designed to, to train us, to, to equip us, to help us to be blessed, to help us to be happy. What, what, people, what people see 
of us on the outside, we can all put on a good act. But what the, the psalmist is saying here is what people see on the outside should be a reflection of what is happening on the inside. That we have delighted in the law of the Lord. We have meditated on it day and night. And it is, it is within us. Matthew 23, 27, Jesus is speaking to those who look good on the outside but, but are, are dead on the inside. He says, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So the importance of one, two here has always been the biblical reality in our life. We need to be invested. We need to be delighted in God's word. In Deuteronomy, Moses is literally prophesying about Israel's future king, a king he does not know who it is, a king that he does not know is going to happen, but he prophesies about this future king, and this is what he says in Deuteronomy 17. Of this king, he says, And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Here is what his, this new king's first responsibility was not to appoint his cabinet, was not to inspect his army. It was to go to God's word, completely write it by hand, all for him, and then he was to read it every day for the good of himself and Israel. He was to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate, it, meditate on it day and night. And as we all know, the kings of Israel failed at this. And we see the outcome of what happened to Israel. That was the king's primary responsibility, to be reminded of who God is, to fear him. And so that is, this, this, is a, this is a wonderful encouragement to us this morning. Delight in the law of the Lord. And on that law, meditate day and night. And then he, write, he goes on in, in the second section to give us a metaphor of the righteous person. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The Middle East is a very arid place and very dry place where water is quite scarce. Seasonal streams appear at times. They, they water the plants. But for many months, the, it's this arid place, this desert is just dry and, and plants wither. And they get brown and they just kind of disappear off the, off the scene. And here the psalmist tells us that the, the, the way of the righteous person, the, the happy righteous person, the way that they go, they are like a tree 
but they're not just a tree that just grows up. These, here's, a, here's a key phrase here. They are like a tree planted by streams of water. Planted. In other words, here is a picture of the gospel. This is not a wild tree, but one planted by the Lord. And that is us. That is us. We have been planted by Christ's saving grace. He is our living water, as we read about in John 4. And we will never thirst again if we drink of him, because his stream never stops flowing. We will be fruitful in all that we do if we choose the right path. We are to be planted think about that. God, in his mercy, has planted you. He has planted you. You didn't plant yourself in the gospel. He planted you. He called you. He drew you. He united himself in his son to you through Christ's death and resurrection. He he made you one with Christ. He planted you. And because he planted you, you will be like a tree who has streams of water. And what are the streams of water? It is taking delight in God's word. One, two, three. What the righteous man does not do, what the righteous man does do, and what the righteous man is like. But then in verse 4, sobering words, the way of the wicked. The wicked are not so. They are not like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked do not yield its fruit in its season. The wicked's leaf does wither, and the wicked does not prosper. The wicked are not so. And here's this wonderful, this insightful metaphor. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Here you're on a farm, and, and chaff is when the wheat and the kernel is separated, and it's thrown up in the air, and the chaff, which is light, just flies away. That's the wicked. They just disappear off the scene. That's, that's what the wicked are like. The wicked are not so. They are not planted. They are not blessed. They are not happy. They, are, they have no substance. They have no value. They have no use. They are just tossed about. This is the life and the path and the outcome and the summary of the verses that we see here of the eternal outcome of the wicked. The wicked are not so. Two ways to live. Two pathways to choose from. Two gates to go through. Two outcomes to experience. And then he comes to the summary. Therefore, he says, now that we've talked about who the wicked are, and we've talked about who the righteous are, he says, therefore... The wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, isn't 
interesting, his play on words here. Because in verse 1, he says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And here he says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, because they stood in the way of sinners, nor to sinners in the congregation. They won't sit with, with the righteous in the congregation, both in this life and in the life to come. The outcome of the wicked is this. And in the end, verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's the outcome. But not so the righteous. Because of Christ, we will stand in the final judgment. We will not fall down in shame. We will stand in the final judgment because we have become the righteousness of God in Christ, through Christ. You know, the Hebrew grammar in verse 1 and this entire psalm anticipates complete obedience of the person that they are talking about, the righteous person here. The problem for us is that from Adam onward, no one has ever lived up to this psalm. Is, is anyone here ever completely not walked in the counsel of the wicked? Or not stood in the way of sinners? Or not sat in the seat of scoffers? Who, who is the blessed man here in Psalm 1? Is it Abraham? Well, absolutely not. Abraham lied. He denied his wife, gave his wife to another man. Was it Moses? No, he was a murderer. And he lost his temper with God. Was it David? No, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her, her husband murdered. Who, who is this blessed man? Well, we all know who that blessed man is. It's Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, who never sinned and, and took the sins of the world upon himself as a sacrifice for our sins. This righteous man, he walked the narrow path. He, he went through the narrow gate. He entered into the darkness of our world as the light of the world. And he was crucified for our sins and died for our sins that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, that we might become this blessed man. That's who this blessed man is. He, he, here's the problem of Psalm 1. How do we live out the reality of this psalm? You know, in 1 John 3, 9, John tells us, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And yet, we do sin. Now, cannot here does not mean I'm incapable of sinning. What, what, the, what John is saying here is that we must not sin. We cannot sin. We cannot do that. That is not what a Christian does. This is, this is the verse that tells us that we can live out Psalm 1 because in John, because you go further, John 1, 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so what is it? We cannot sin, we, we, we must not sin, or we, we do sin. So can we live out the reality of this psalm? Well, yes, we can. We can go the way of the righteous. We can walk down the narrow path. We can walk through the narrow gateway. We can have the outcome of 
the righteous, that the Lord knows our way. We can because of Christ. The gospel promises us that, that we can walk in obedience and not the way of the wicked brothers and sisters. Not perfectly, but faithfully. Not perfectly, but faithfully. Christ will complete in us what he began in us. We have his spirit that we would delight in his word. We have his spirit that we would follow on the right pathway. We have his spirit. We have his promise that he'll forgive us when we do sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have his commitment to keep our eternity secure, our inheritance guarded. That's what we know. And as the psalmist in one six tells us, he knows the way of the righteous. He knows who we are. He knows what he's done in us. He knows the way of the righteous. And the question is, does he know your way? Are you one who stands in the way of sinners, walks in the counsel of the wicked, sits in the seat of scoffers, does God know your way? In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How interesting. The Lord doesn't say in Matthew 7, you never knew me, so depart. He says, I never knew you. And yet here in Psalm 1, we are told clearly that the righteous man, the one who has been changed by Christ, the Lord knows their way. If you're not confident the Lord knows your way, my appeal is for you to respond to the gospel, to believe the gospel, to believe that Christ died for your sins, to put that trust in him, to confess your sins and to ask for his forgiveness, that you might walk the way of the righteous. Now, there are a couple of lessons we can take from this, and first and foremost, is to become those who delight in the Word of God. If, if that's all you take away from today, delighting in the Word of God, delighting in the law of the Lord, and meditating on that Word day and night. That's what we want to do. Now, there are only two ways to live. And I, w I would encourage you to look through Scripture to see again and again how those two ways to live are mentioned throughout different passages in Scripture. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes this. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Do honest work with his own hands, so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the, the occasion, that it gives grace to those who hear. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. Don't live this way, live this way. Again, not just Ephesians, but, but in Philippians as well, there's another, Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. There you go. Two ways to live. And you're going to find that throughout the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. You're going to find it throughout the Bible. That's why Psalm 1 is so crucial. There are two ways to live. And the one who is the blessed man, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he's the one who shows us how to live. Next week, we're going to begin our series in the book of Matthew. We're going to study this blessed man. We're going to learn about his life. And so as you are preparing for next Sunday, take time to read Matthew's gospel. Take time to begin learning about this blessed man that you might be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that so helpfully instructs us that that we might live according to your word, that we might live in such a manner that your name is glorified and we experience the wonderful gift of blessing that you have promised if we follow the right way to live. And Lord, if there are those here who are struggling with understanding the right way to live, may you give them wisdom and insight this morning and help through others that they may learn how to do so. We pray this in Christ's name.